This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. This week, Vi offers eight different ways of looking at Pacific Island women. No, <laughs> but what I will do is teach you how to use your own beautiful voice. Shazam has transformed DC Comics movies into something a bit more fun. Ah, this means Billy! What is happening? You're the only person I know that knows anything about this Kate Crusader stuff. Can I? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy, right? And some of that old-time Stephen King hocus-pocus, Pet cemetery. Saw these in the trees up there. They're warnings. The local tribes carved them before they fled. They fear that place. I'm Simon Morris. One of the questions that pop up with movies based on well-known source material is how much are you expected to know going in? It's safe to say most of us are reasonably familiar with the likes of Sherlock Holmes, Superman and Dracula. But do we need to read up on every minor popular culture figure they turn into a movie? Boys! Mm. Bruce Wayne meets Clark Kent. I love it. I love bringing people together. How are we? Lex. Hi, hello. Lex, it is a pleasure. Ow, wow, that is a good grip. You should not pick a fight with this person. Case in point was the recent Captain Marvel, part of the famous Marvel Comics universe, obviously. Except it turns out not to be quite as obvious as all that. Captain Marvel didn't actually start at Marvel Comics. In fact, Captain Marvel started long before there were Marvel Comics. We found you with no memory. We made you one of us. So you could live longer, stronger, superior. You were reborn. Back in the wild west of comics, sometime in the late 1930s, when everyone was trying to match the success of the Superman series, someone came up with the idea of a kid who could turn into a Superman-type hero by simply saying the magic word Shazam. A puff of smoke, and suddenly Billy Batson became Captain Marvel. And now, my son, repeat my name and return to the rescue of your friends. Shazam! So popular was Captain Marvel, they made a movie serial of his exploits. Well, many years later, Stan Lee's burgeoning Marvel Comics took the idea and came up with not one, but several characters, all called Captain Marvel. Meanwhile, rivals DC, who owned the original idea, were forced to rename their version Shazam. Billy Batson. 
I choose you as champion. And what were the chances that Marvel and DC would put out movie versions of respectively Captain Marvel and Shazam in the same month? But the point I'm raising is how much of this stuff did you need to know? And the answer is, thankfully, none of it. Is Captain Sparkle Fingers? No, it's not. It's not my. That's not my name. Personally, I'm a firm believer in arriving in a movie blissfully ignorant and being told anything I needed to know in and by the movie itself. But a couple of recent films have broken that rule, notably the recent horror puzzler Us. I think I feel like it means like she's getting closer. Who? The mirror girl. You don't believe me. The internet is currently full of discussion of Jordan Peele's original mythology behind us, very little of which is actually in the film. But I'm guessing he's talked about the significance of doppelgangers, rabbits, tunnels and government conspiracies at fan conventions. How did you know what to do? Come on. Got my crew. I'm not a commander, huh? I think we all remember what happened to that beast on Enoch 7, right? <laughs> But if you didn't know already, I suppose you're intrigued enough to want to find out, and social media is very good at starting those sorts of information hunts. But sometimes you need some help before a film starts. For instance, the New Zealand compilation movie Waru expected you to know that the several component stories were inspired by one off-screen event, the tragic death of a child. The eight stories were very different, but you were expected to recognise what the various Maori women were reacting to. Well, this week a new film from the same producers features another eight stories directed by women filmmakers from different Pacific islands. But it wasn't until days after I saw it that I realised what specifically linked the stories. The film is called Vi. No, <laughs> but what I will do is teach you how to use your own beautiful voice. Vi comes on the heels of another New Zealand film, the very successful Daffodils, which benefited from a highly effective publicity campaign. If you didn't know, Daffodils was a musical based on a hit stage play and built around Kiwi hit singles, mostly from the 80s and 90s, it certainly wasn't the fault of the advertising. Whenever I Vi, on the other hand, has had a rather more selective publicity push. It's been targeted, understandably, at the Maori and Pacifica audience. There have been one or two interviews. But clearly the budget didn't run to a massive TV campaign, giving the rest of us a hint at what it's about. The structure of Vi is very similar to that of Waru. Eight seemingly unrelated stories, each roughly ten minutes long, each told more or less in single shots. This time I noticed a couple of cuts, indicating that the producers weren't quite as uncompromising this time. Each 
Each story features a woman character called, give or take language differences, Vi, which also means water. And each one is set on a different Pacific island, including Aotearoa, New Zealand. There are common threads in all the stories, though I was a little too obtuse to spot the most obvious one. But in each story, the lead character was being urged by her family and her village to go to New Zealand for an education. I'll not allow you to take any more from us! In the islands, the idea of emigration is both a blessing and a curse. On the one hand, the families are well aware that education is the key to progress. But on the other, breaking off from your roots can mean abandoning the people you left behind. But being preachy and angry is not really the Pacific way. And the first thing you notice about Vi is that these islands are the closest thing to paradise on Earth. Who would want to leave? Moses said, when I go to school, I won't have any friends. You know what? Moses is a bloody kakamora. <laughs> Certainly the first Vi, aged about seven and living in Fiji, has no interest in going anywhere else, even if her family and friends can be a pain sometimes. But it's nothing that can't be solved by a sudden warm shower of rain. But the other buys from 13 to late 60s, from Tonga to the Solomon Islands, have more complex reactions. Vi, you could do amazing things for your people, but you need to cut out all these distractions. I know what I'm capable of, but you just won't listen to me. That's a Vi who's been at university for a couple of years, but feeling two sorts of pressure, from her teachers who wanted to be a future leader and from her family and friends who just want more of her time. Like Waru, the stories are diverse and sometimes a little bewildering. But cultural ignorance goes two ways. Isn't it the job of the filmmaker to bridge the gap, to explain unfamiliar ways of thinking to a non-Pacific audience? My family, my village, has sacrificed so much for me to be here. I'm not going to waste that. Or should they simply advise the rest of us to catch up, think about it, or look it up, which is eventually what I did. It took a while to realise that all these women, young and old, were the same vi, just from different islands. Their stories were common to so many Pacific women, not so much stereotypical as universal. I suppose I should have twigged when I realised that just about all of them had a brother called Elvis. This is what she learnt at that flat university. How to cause trouble. You have these thoughts. These thoughts, these thoughts, they're my own Elvis. With most of the nine filmmakers of Vi first or second timers, it's not surprising that some scenes worked better than others, though it was interesting hearing the varied responses from a crowded, multicultural audience. My own favourite scene was the most dazzling technically. It takes place on, around and at one stage under a canoe at sea. I'm tired of moulding myself to become who you want me to be. My name is Vaisel. Vaisel Lonalote Pulusi. Once again, the most valuable players on by with a camera crew led by Drew Sturge and Simon Tutte. How much should you know going into Vi? Well, I think you need to know something. Look it up before you go, I'd say. Or do what I did. Bask in it and then think about it afterwards. Either way, it's a lovely piece of work.
The battle between the mighty Marvel Comics franchises, the Avengers, Spider-Man, Deadpool and the rest, and their rivals DC Comics, home of Batman and Superman, was essentially all over until recently. Marvel films were the clear winners, fast, witty, charming, and above all, fun. You're just a clown. Dressed up as a sex toy. So dark. You sure you're not from the DC Universe? By contrast, the DC movies seem committed to being no fun at all, following the dark blueprint of Christopher Nolan's Batman movies. It got so bad that their big stars, Batman and Superman, ended up fighting each other to the death. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. Son of Krypton versus Bat of Gotham. You're psychotic. That is a three-syllable word for any thought too big for little minds. Well, who wants to see that, we wondered. But last year, things started to look up for Doomy DC on the back of two unexpected hits. Wonder Woman proved endearing as well as feminist and clearly didn't take herself too seriously. And Aquaman was downright hilarious, occasionally on purpose. The only way to stop this war is for you to take your rightful place as king. Trust me, I am no king. You do your best thinking when you're not thinking at all. That was the worst pep talk ever. DC Comics had tripped over, if not the secret, then at least a bright idea to go back to its comic book roots. Before comic books were called popular culture, aimed at ultra-serious dudes at Comic-Con, they were, you know, for kids. And no film is currently more child-friendly, dumb and thoroughly enjoyable than Shazam. You have bullet immunity! I'm bulletproof. <laughs> You're dead. Sorry about your window, but you're welcome for not getting robbed. Oh, hey, what's up? I'm a superhero. Shazam starts off a little dark and DC when a kid has a car accident back in the 1970s, then is whisked away to a mysterious shadowy cavern, a cavern that looks like the set of an old 1940s movie serial. Uh, Where did you come from? Out of the past, my son. Down through the ages to guard the secret of the scorpion. You've been alive all these years? Well, it looks like the old serial because a lot of Shazam is the original serial plot, including the mysterious wizard who encourages the kid to do the right thing. The 1970s kid turns out to be a washout and he's sent back. Cut to now and a troubled teen with the none more 40s name of Billy Batson. You've run from foster homes in six counties. I can take care of myself. When you're 18, give these people a chance. Because that's what they're giving you. Billy is given a last chance foster home with a mixed bunch of other orphans, including a kid on crutches called Freddy, with a nice line in sarcastic comedy. This is Billy Batson. Make sure you make him feel at home. They seem nice, but don't buy it. It's real Game of Thrones around here. Dude, just messing around. You look at me and you're like, why so dark? You're a disabled foster kid. You've got it all. One day, Billy finds himself on a mysterious train that takes him to a familiar shadowy cavern and a wizard still determined to find a champion. The Wiz sees something in Billy and offers the chance for him to reach his potential. All he has to do is grab the magic staff. Say my name so my powers may flow through you. But I don't know your name, sir. 
Shazam. Wait, for real? Say okay! Shazam? The snigger is the giveaway to the tone of the movie, but suddenly Billy has transformed into Shazam, a cheesy, lovable mutt version of the Man of Steel. He panics, rushes home in his transformed state, and wakes up his mate Freddy. Ah, ah, this means Billy! What is happening? You're the only person I know that knows anything about this Cape Crusader stuff. Can I... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy, right? In other words, it's a superhero variation on the old Tom Hanks body swap comedy Big, with the added bonus that he can switch between his two identities with the use of the magic word. He will eventually learn that with great powers comes great responsibility, though first he's got to work out what those great powers are. What are your superpowers? Superpowers, dude? I don't even know how to pee in this thing. AM to the BM, BM to the AM. You have super strength. Can you fly? Once he learns them, Billy, a.k.a. Shazam, behaves like any 15-year-old kid suddenly given the keys to the kingdom. He makes an idiot of himself for a while. But why shouldn't he? He's a kid, even when confronted by the bad guy, the first 1970s kid, all grown up and now played by the villainous Mark Strong. Chosen one. Oh, you're like a bad guy, right? How old are you? Basically 15. Mark plays it straight, as straight as you can, when the rest of the film is coming across as an outsized episode of Scooby-Doo. This isn't a criticism, by the way. Where the previous DC films prided themselves on earnestness and a high body count, Shazam read the words over the title and put the comic back into the comic book movie. And about damn time. Did you see that? Yeah, you electrocuted a bus and almost killed these people. And then I caught it! You can leave tall buildings in a single bound. There are two prevailing opinions on the works of American horror master Stephen King. By far the most commonly held one is that he's a genius, and his 60-plus books have given scary pleasure to over 350 million readers. The dissenting minority position refers to his movies, and as a member of this group, I have to say most of them leave me cold. Those woods belong to something else. Something... That cat was dead. It brings things back. Cheers. I'm not a big horror fan anyway, particularly not those depending on ancient curses, haunted appliances, all-American kids, and blood all over the carpet. Most of these are Stephen King's staples, particularly the mysterious curse, often tied to an old tribal graveyard. Welcome to Pet Cemetery. God! Maybe just some crazy folk tale. But there is something up in those woods. I remember avoiding the original Pet Cemetery back in the 80s for all the reasons mentioned before, but at least that means I arrive at the modern remake with no preconceptions. So many trees. It's beautiful, right? It's definitely not Boston. Here we go. Okay, so what do you think? 
Pet Cemetery opens like they all do these days, with an aerial shot over a big green forest and a family driving through it to a new home. The family is, as always, dad, mum, a daughter and her kid brother. Oh, and a cat called Church. This whole place is ours? I even got him to throw in a whole forest as a new backyard. They get out at the red house in the country and are immediately nearly bowled by a speeding truck. No sooner has everyone said that was a lucky escape when young Ellie goes for a walk and discovers something a bit weird. In the woods today, L.A. discovered a charming little landmark. The Pet cemetery. A pet cemetery, eh? Luckily, there's a next-door neighbour called Judd who can explain what all that's about. Incidentally, the frugal producers of Pet Cemetery have kept its name actors to a bare minimum, which in this case means John Lithgow. It was a myth. Kids used to dare each other to go into the woods at night. They knew the power of that place. They feared it. Once John Lithgow arrives, you know who's been drafted into exposition duty. And having set up the pet cemetery, it's just a matter of time before the one pet around, Church the Cat, is going to need one. Young Ellie is distraught, but Judd may have a solution. Those woods belong to something else. Something. That cat was dead. It brings things back. Church? The pet cemetery is just next door to an ancient stretch of ground that will bring dead cats back to life. Dad, ignoring 200 years of advice going back to Frankenstein, decides to tamper with life and death. I know what you're thinking of doing. But they don't come back the same. Daddy. And once Stephen King sets off down that particular path, there's no telling where it's going to lead. No telling unless you've seen any previous King B-movies, in my case, usually on late-night TV and against my better judgment. I should never have shown you that place. Your child is not the only thing that will come back. The barrier is broken. Once you mess with dead cats, the next step is likely to be people. And off we go on a trip to who knows where. Incidentally, I may sneer at horror films, but that doesn't mean I'm in any way immune to the wretched things. Once the lights go down and the ominous music starts pulsing, I'm just as likely to jump out of my skin as the next person. We have a second chance. Sometimes dead is better. But unlike the next person at the screening I went to, at any rate, I don't find the sensation particularly pleasurable. And to add insult to jumping out of my skin, I then have to put up with that unnecessary evil, the ludicrous explanation. It's not some campfire story. Saw these in the trees up there. They're warnings. The local tribes carved them before they fled. They feared that place. 
A horror film explanation is my least favourite cinematic experience, particularly if it's heavy on mystical hocus-pocus. My second least favourite experience, of course, is recoiling in horror from the screen. So, potted review of Pet Cemetery the remake, not for me, thank you, but don't let me stop you. And having noted it would be a dull old world if we were all the same, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.